0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special edition of the Me, You, Us podcast. Today, we are celebrating Earth Day with my friends Jessica and Carl. So listen in as we talk about Earth Day and what that can mean to you. Uh, We're here today celebrating Earth Day, uh, Friday, April 22nd. And I have a couple of very special guests on board to talk about Earth Day with us and some of the things we're doing as a company Uh, So, I would like to introduce first uh, Jessica Wojciechowski. She is the Executive Director of Electric Regulatory and Strategy Implementation, which is a mouthful. Uh, So, Jessica, could you introduce yourself, please?
1: Yeah. Uh, Thank you, Bill. And uh, I have been working for Consumers Energy in the electric utility side of the business for, geez, roughly, I'd say 16 years now. Uh, And throughout that Period of time had various roles within the company. As uh, starting off in the chemistry labs and knowing about our transformers and our electric distribution system, uh, working with our regulators and working in the environmental department and uh, working through electric planning related to building what our clean energy future is going to look like through a formal process called integrated resource plans. And so I've had a great joy of working with consumers energy over those many years in support of a cleaner environment, as well as safe and affordable energy for our customers. So it's great to be here today.
0: It's great to have you here. you know, I got to say one of the beautiful things about working for consumers energy is that you can move around and learn a ton of things and have positive impacts in a lot of different places in our company because there's just so many opportunities here
1: exactly
0: my next guest is no stranger to the podcast please welcome back carl bloss he is the ev education and outreach coordinator and in case you don't know ev stands for electric vehicle and carl Bloss is our mr electric vehicle but carl if you'd introduce yourself we'll get this conversation started
2: thanks bill and thanks for having me and Yeah, I've been with the company for a little bit over a year now, Uh, retired from the chemical industry, Uh, started driving electric vehicles in 2014, and uh, sold my last purely gas vehicle in 2018. And over the last year, uh, I've been attending events associated with EVs, Drive Electric Earth Day, you know, these kind of things, which is coming up again here. Uh, A couple of events, a couple of them have already happened by now. So, yeah, just uh, trying to get the word out about EVs and all of the benefits. And, of course, one of the huge benefits is the environmental impact. And I think that's what we're going to focus on
0: today. Absolutely. But I see in your background there is a Kia. I'm guessing that's an all-electric vehicle. Uh, Does that mean that you no longer have that LEAF that you had for so many years? Yeah, that's correct. We um,
2: we decided to trade up, and um, so yeah, the, the new vehicle now has 239 some miles of range, and it fits our lifestyle a little bit better. The Leaf uh, continues to be a great car, and uh, I was able to sell it on the secondhand market, and I believe it already has a, a buyer, so it's great. There's
0: one more EV out there. Well, that's awesome. I know that you uh, used that car with a lot of love, so hopefully the next Uh, owner will do the same Uh, we just
2: got done putting about 1600 miles on this one on a road trip so had to learn how the how the system works and i'm i'm happy to report that uh, we had no glitches and had a had a great trip and saved a lot of money
0: well that's good to hear and it's funny because the audience can't see this but the picture behind you is you in a gas pump trying to figure out what to do with this gas pump because it's not going to it's not going to help you out at all so a new car comes into the uh, Bloss family, uh, but what's new out there in EVs since the last time we talked? Yeah,
2: it's a great question. Uh, one of the things that's happening is we're seeing so many more models, and one of the reasons that uh, we upgraded is that this particular vehicle was finally came to Michigan as a uh, Michigan as a non-zero emission mandate vehicle state. So, you know, those would be states like California, Colorado, where manufacturers are required to bring zero emission vehicles in. And Michigan is not that way, at least not yet. And so we were not always the first to receive those kind of vehicles. And when all these manufacturers now, whether it's our own homegrown Michigan uh, manufacturers, uh, whether it's the imports, um, everybody's now offering a lot more choices on vehicles. And so this one for for our case was very affordable um you know i i didn't necessarily need the the latest and greatest model that you know has 500 miles of range and all these fancy uh, bells and whistles but one that was be affordable for us and that maybe in a couple of years we can pass on to our son and uh, and i think that's one of the big things that's happening and the other thing that's happening is the charging infrastructure has just grown by leaps and bounds before I sold the leaf, I actually took a little trip up the lakeshore, um and it should be here coming out here in our next EV newsletter about how I took that leaf all the way up from you know Muskegon up to Frankfurt, um took a day trip with it, and it's all possible now. So that's one of the huge changes, and that will continue to be that way. we're We're looking at putting in two hundred more chargers here over the next couple of years uh, as part of our power my drive program.
0: I was recently at the Veterans and Energy Conference out in d c. And they had a CEO panel and the CEO from the Tennessee Valley Authority was talking about electrification and specifically electric vehicles. And while they're seeing an increase in her area, she said, you know, until they come out with a really reliable pickup truck, it's going to be tough to get my customers to go uh, electric. And then I get home and I see Ford is coming out not only with an electric pickup truck, but you may be able to power your home if the power goes out, can you talk a little bit about that technology?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, so we call that uh, vehicle to grid, vehicle to building, vehicle to everything. And in fact, some people they abbreviate it with v to X, meaning vehicle to anything. Um, essentially, what that technology is, um, it's a bi directional charger. So normally, when you have an EV, you have, just like with your cell phone, you have a little, little cube and a cable, and the, the power flows one direction into your phone's battery. Well, think of this now, if you could do this bi-directionally and say, hey, I've got this big battery sitting here, and I don't need to use all of it for driving all the time. Now, maybe when the power is out, which obviously we're working on to make sure that that doesn't happen, um, but when the power is out or I'm on a camping trip and I want to use that energy in there, I have a way to get that energy back out. So, what Ford has announced, for example, is that with their extended range version, the Ford Pro Charger is now bidirectional, so you'll be able to plug your F-150 Lightning into that vehicle, into that uh, charger, and then it will be able to backfeed your house. Now, there's some more stuff that has to go on there, you know, with tying it into your panel, just like you would a generator, but it allows you to take that energy and use it for it to power your home. And I know Kia also, and their their newer newer vehicles, Kia Hyundai. And, and others are doing this, too. They, they have a little dongle, a little plug that you plug into the charging port. And the other end of that is just 120-volt sockets. So now when you're tailgating or you're camping and you want to run an electric kettle or a little refrigerator, you can use that energy. And there's a lot of energy in those batteries. And if you think about how much energy you use in your home every day, I mean, I personally use maybe 24, 25 kilowatt hours per day. You know, And that vehicle in the picture behind me has 64 kilowatt hours of battery. So without any changes, I could run my house for days. And so you can think about what the other applications of that could be.
0: Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I was uh, having dinner with a friend of mine and he was talking about uh, this commercial he saw where they were powering the house and he kind of chuckled, like, how long will that really last? But if you think about some of the generators that we use, we don't necessarily power our whole home, right? We maybe power our uh, refrigerator and maybe our furnace so that we can have heat if it's winter, but we're not part of the whole home. So you could actually, with the power, if you had a full charge in your car, I'm hearing that you could probably power your house for a couple of days. Is that what you just said?
2: So if you think about it, you know, you're not going to run your electric dryer maybe, which is a really high draw item. Um, so, you know, you're going to conserve a little bit and say, well, I'm just going to, you know, I, I don't want my freezer to fail because those Michigan blueberries I have in there, I don't want them thawing out. Um, I want to be able to run the electronics in my furnace um, I want to be able to run my water heater, even if it's gas powered, it's, it's uh, still has electronics to do the ign- ignition and the fan and all that sort of thing. So yeah, you can make that last for a very long time. And the other kind of neat thing is, let's say you're in an area that's affected by a power outage, but maybe, you know, the, the, the town next to you or a couple miles down is not affected by, you could take your car over there, charge it up and bring it back. So, you know, you could, as long as the area is not widely, affected you know you could do that perpetually if you think about it. it's just a storage storage for that energy
0: so i gotta tell you you had me in michigan blueberries i have i have have a freezer full of those we go to the farmer's market every summer and i stock up on blueberries so uh,
2: absolutely my wife comes home with
0: 50 pounds when the season is is in (laughs) in place so you're reading my mind well i want to switch over to jessica now because we have these all these cool things happening with uh, electrification and with uh EVs in particular, and with that market coming up, and there is bound to be a tipping point where we'll be selling or buying more EVs than we will be uh, in internal combustion engine vehicles, I think maybe that's going to put some strain on our, our grid. So uh, we're going to talk about the clean energy plan, but also about how do we beef up our grid and how do we do it in a way that uh, keeps us uh, operating in a, in a in a clean manner. So Jessica, you're on. We were going to talk about IRP, but you said, let's call it the clean energy plan because it just makes more sense.
1: That's right, it's much easier. And uh, integrated resource plans is a electric utility planning process. And, uh, but we're very proud as a company to reference it as our clean energy plan. It is the plan that we see as our guiding light for how we're going to exit coal. And how we're going to get cleaner and give uh, all of our experts and our stakeholders and our customers a view of what our plans are for the long term. The clean energy plan, the things to take away that we've uh, currently in the process and we are waiting for regulatory approval here in Michigan. We're a very regulated utility, and so we should see our first order here uh, in April and in June. But what it does is that we balance across our triple bottom line of people, planet and prosperity. And there is a lot of analysis that goes behind uh, our clean energy plan to ensure that we truly are as balanced as we can be across all three. And we were able to find a solution that makes us cleaner faster. And that is we are able to exit all of our coal units by 2025. We are uh, being able to – we have one of the most aggressive solar build-out plans probably in the nation, at least for the Midwest, uh, roughly about 8,000 megawatts by 2040. And for comparison, that's a significant portion. It's more than 50% of our customers' demand being served through just solar. And on top of that, it ensures reliability. And so we get a lot of questions from our customers about how is wind and solar going to be able to serve my needs every hour of every day. That is the expectation they have. And that is what we strive for as an electric utility. And to ensure that as we exit coal and we have aggressive plans for renewable generation, we are bringing on existing gas, natural gas units that reside within the state of Michigan to help Make that transition to help transform that and we truly need to ensure that as a backstop to all of those renewable and clean energy that we can go to a cleaner natural gas facility to ensure that we keep giving power over the long term and the great part about those natural gas units is they are very flexible. And As far as how they operate within Michigan and within what we call our energy markets that are beyond just Michigan. There are about 15 states within the energy market we participate in as a utility. And that just helps ensure that we can meet our future goal of being net zero by 2040. So we can do uh, examples of how we get there, could be carbon capture sequestration, it could be utilizing those gas units less, it could be burning hydrogen, it could be uh, a whole slew of different alternatives, but at least we can ensure that we are being cleaner faster and that it gives us a route to 2040 uh, that isn't as big of a jump if we were to maintain all of our coal units. So it's a great, uh, a great plan, a wonderful plan where uh, the company is very proud of it. And uh, throughout all of that effort, the last piece is that we can create roughly six hundred million dollars of customer savings. Uh, so being clean doesn't mean that it has to be more expensive. This clean plan we can have all of it, as well as reliability, and as well as creating customer savings through that process. Uh, so it's been a joy uh, to get through that and. Electrification is just going to be another part that weaves into it to ensure that as electrification happens, that we have a reliable, clean supply to help support the transitions that that particular industry is is making at this point.
0: Thank you for all of that. Um, you know, we have talked on here uh, several times about net zero and all of those things, and I, so I'm hoping the audience has a good understanding of that. Uh, and I don't want to become Bill Krieger, the science guy here. But you said carbon capture sequestration, and I've heard that a couple of times now from from different people. And uh, just for the audience's sake, what the heck does that mean?
1: (laughs) Uh, Yes. So carbon capture sequestration is... You have a piece of equipment that is above ground, and it will be tied into a generating plant, a natural gas generating plant. And if you are familiar, when you go out and you drive and you see the stacks that are up in the air that help release a lot of the heat and the thermal uh, steam that comes from those particular generators, carbon is also a part of the emissions that come out of that stack. Uh, What carbon capture does is it captures it prior to it leaving the stack. It will take all of that carbon and then the underground sequestration part of that component is that it will compress it and it will inject it very far beneath the ground uh, through some of what we call the bedrock and the layers um, of earth that we have here in Michigan. And uh, the way that we can do that is that it's is proven to be safe. Uh, you can get to a point where you inject it so that it doesn't contaminate groundwater uh, and other sources of safe drinking water that we have. And that is uh, kind of a, a different approach, but ah, uh, what carbon capture sequestration is.
0: Well, thank you. And you did answer my next question, what was going to be how does this impact groundwater. So you uh, you were <laughs> you were all over that before I could even ask the question. So. So thank you for that. Um, You know, as we talk about decommissioning our coal plants and moving to alternative forms of energy, and I'll toss this question up. Either one can answer whoever hits their buzzer first. Uh, But I know, like, from my experience on the electric side of the business, for a long time we had these peaker plants so that when you had peak times of usage, you could bring these plants online and kind of balance things out. I'm just curious, you know, we are asking people, or we're not asking these typically a person will charge their vehicle at night when they're sleeping, which is really off peak. If we see enough electric vehicles come online, will that really enable us to to level out those peaks and valleys that we see in usage? Uh, Because, um, you know, during the day we have high usage for work and office and all those things that we do. And at night, would we see uh, a little bit higher usage um, for vehicles, do we foresee like that wave sign that you see today, or um, can we talk a little bit about that? I'm I'm not sounding like I really know what I'm talking about. That's why I have experts on here. So we talk. Can we talk about how electrification may level out our uh, usage and help remove some of those peaks and valleys? So
2: one of the things that we are doing already is we're incentivizing incentivizing EV drivers to charge what we currently consider off-peak, which tends to be overnight right? And that's largely because um, the demand curve, and I'm sure Jessica knows this stuff way better than I do, but the demand curve peaks during the day, particularly in the summertime when you have air conditioning. So just from from the standpoint of, um, you know, we want for grid stability, we want EV drivers to use the energy when it's when it's readily available. And by the way, it's also cheap. And so we have smart technology now. We have EV chargers that or the vehicles themselves you plug them in you program them so that they only start charging the vehicle at 11 p.m. and then they you know finish sometime in the night and as we get more vehicles you can do what's called managed charging let's say you have multiple evs which you know i have multiple evs i program them so i one one charges and then the other one charges as needed and so as we start bringing different forms of energy online for example like the you know more solar during the day then you do get this thing called the duck curve and you can look that up. And basically it, it refers to the fact that you are now also generating more during the day. And what we can do then is with managed charging, we can say, well, let's not just do it at a fixed time, but we can do it whenever energy is readily available.
0: So Jessica, that is your cue. (laughs) What's the future of that?
1: (laughs) I think that is a perfect way to think about it because The solar that we are going to develop and deploy here over the next 10 to 20 years, its primary benefit is during that high summer peak period where you are probably going to have more generation than you need in order to serve your customer demand. And so to Carl's point is those EVs, if uh, they have the ability to take that excess and to charge their vehicles and then maybe they do have an ability to discharge those for their home usage later in the evening, uh, that is a benefit for how we're going to clean. And one of the benefits of why you would want to deploy uh, the level of solar of which our company is pursuing. On a dis on a charging during the what we call off peak periods, which are really in the late evening, um, early early morning hours. Uh, to your question, Bill, about do we see the normal distribution curve <laughs> uh, that you might see for those that are, uh, love statistics and stuff move and be a little bit flatter. Um, as you said. And I, I think the answer is yes, depending upon uh, the effectiveness, which we've seen through our incentives to have people charge on the off-peak, that they can charge on those off-peak timeframes. And you'll see that move up a bit. The benefit that we see for our customers in doing that is it can utilize a system that is already built to manage a summer peak so our wires, our substations, and all of the equipment you see to deliver energy is built to manage that peak period. And the electric vehicle growth, at least as we watch and monitor how it per- uh, grows here over the next 10 and 20 years, we're comfortable in that our system We'll be able to manage that even in the off-peak period. And what also is great about that is that if we can keep it off the peak where everybody's using it, we don't have to make further investments of solar or wind or even get pressed into building a natural gas plant in order to serve that higher peak. At the end of the day, the company has to meet those peak periods, and uh, and we want to ensure that we can manage the cost to our customers as best we can. And I think it's been great to see that those electric vehicle incentives are putting them in the hours that are really to a great benefit for them.
0: I think that'll make sense to our, our customers. Uh, it also almost sounds to me like we can, uh, we can do this without really having to have a huge uh, investment in in larger or more infrastructure that we can handle it in a smarter way, right, uh, to, uh, to, to take on that additional load.
2: Well, yeah, if I can add to that. So one of the neat things, of course, about EVs is we presume that they are going to be fairly widely distributed, right? So now you're going to have that energy available where you need it. So if I'm using my EV to... Charge it off-peak when the energy is available and cheap, and now I just use it again. I'm not sending it through a bunch of distribution wiring, and you know I'm not sending it across the state. I'm using it right, right where I have it. So I think that should that should help quite a bit because you know the presumption is that um, EVs are are going to be distributed, you know, among the people initially that are interested in them, but and as that grows, they're still going to be spread out.
0: Like in any change curve, right? You have your early adopters and then uh, eventually it takes off and and it becomes the the way that we do things. Exactly. All right. Well, great. Well, I I hate to say it, but we are getting close to the end of the podcast. But before we go, I wanted to give each of you a chance to uh, tell the audience what you would like them to take away from this conversation that we're having today. Uh, So, Carl, I'm going to let you go first on this one. What's your message for the audience? Well, since we're
2: talking about Earth Day and environmental issues, so beyond the the cost savings, um, EVs generally are environmentally friendly simply because of how efficient they are. So an EV will will convert, you know, almost 80% of the electrical energy from the grid to the wheels, whereas a conventional gasoline vehicle, uh, just because of the thermodynamics of a combustion engine, you know, you're looking at maybe, if you're lucky, 20%. So right off the bat, even using the same energies, you know, whether you, um, whether you power that vehicle from coal or from, uh, from sunshine or from wind turbines, you know, the, the car is agnostic where that comes from. But right off the bat, it's so much more efficient so that even today, if you drive an EV today with the, the way that our fuel mixes today, you're already helping to make an environmental impact and as we move forward,
0: your car will continue to get cleaner. Thanks so much, Carl, uh, for sharing all that, sharing all of your knowledge on EVs. We're going to have you back. You know that. So uh, be prepared. Uh, Jessica, I'd like to move over and give you an opportunity also to uh, leave the audience with a message.
1: Yeah, I want to leave the audience with the message that. They should have confidence. I hope you have confidence that the utility and that consumer's energy are making the right moves, that we can get cleaner, we can do it safely and affordably, and you can still receive the same customer experience, if not better, that you have today. And the excitement around all of the electric vehicle and transformation that is happening here on uh, on Earth Day here. <laughs> so uh, wishing everybody a happy, happy Earth Day.
0: All right. Thanks for that. Uh, thanks again to the audience uh, for listening in. Again, happy Earth Day to everyone. And thanks, uh, Jessica and Carl, for coming on. Thanks for having us. Thank you to the audience for listening in today. The Me, You, Us podcast is proudly sponsored by Consumers Energy, leaving Michigan better than we found it. Remember, you can find the Me, you, Us podcast on all major podcasting platforms. So be sure to go out, find us, and subscribe. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please contact the Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. If you are a veteran or know a veteran who is in crisis, you can call 1-800-273-8255 and press one for the Veterans Crisis Line. And remember to tune in every Wednesday as we talk about the things that impact your personal well-being.